Hi everyone, today we revisit a favourite from the Capaldi era, it's Heaven Sent. The TARDIS Cloister Bell, imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the Cloister Bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The Cloister Bell? Oh, no. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 91 of Cloister Bell Podcast. I'm Rob, and I'm here with Liam. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Oh yeah. You all right? Yeah, all good. Uh, it's been quite uh, quite a nice week, all things considered. And you? Yeah, fine. Not bad. Just been busy and on. Have you been watching anything lately? Yes, I have. The last podcast, I was talking about how um, I've been. I suddenly had an urge to start watching uh, the Star Trek films. Um, m- more the sequel to the, you know, the, the Captain Kirk films. Um, I thought, oh, it's been so long since I watched, you know, that, that the original Star Trek series. So I bought them on Blu-ray. Um, they arrived very quickly. Um, so got those and been uh, I've watched the first six episodes of series one alright did you start with uh, the pilot the cage no uh, I do remember that one because I think the, the BBC broadcast that twice and I remember being very surprised because I didn't realise it was the, the trailer when, um, the trailer the, the pilot when I first watched it I was just where's Captain Kirk who's Captain Pike although I like the character and I like the actor but um there's no need to rewatch it because Gene Roddenberry was very economical when it came to producing the show. So, um, one thing you'll be familiar with is recycled model shots, you know, with mm, a different yes. color planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, uh-huh. he did repurpose the un, the unaired pilot, the cage. So you do get to see it all um, as a two-part flashback later in the season. Ah, oh, okay. Well, I noticed because there's actually there's two pilots. One's the the cage, yeah, and the other one's called Where No Man Has Gone Before. And I went, oh, hang on, wait a second. That that title's very familiar. That's the third episode of the series. So obviously they remade it. Um, um, yeah, that's right. So um, mm. Where No Man Has Gone Before, you it does look like a traditional pilot in the sense that the little things are different. You know, different uniforms, yeah. um, people acting a bit odd. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's kind of a Two two kind of pilots there, yeah. But um, it's been really nice to go because I because I haven't I'm not a massive Star Trek fan. It was one of those things where it was a show that I liked. Uh, I remember enjoying it an awful lot, um, but I never really went back to it. And I've seen some of the films, but not all of them. Mm, and right. so it's been really nice to go back and uh, and watch the series. One, there's a sense of nostalgia about it. Um, it, uh, just you know, hearing hearing that theme tune, and you know uh, William Shatner doing the you know um, space the final frontier and uh, to boldly go where no man has got. I said, ah, oh, there's a reason why this is classic. I just just absolutely loved it. And it's been an absolute delight, and it's been nice to um, one be surprised by it because I hadn't I hadn't seen all the episodes. So the man trap, which is the very first episode I'd never seen before. That's a good um, one. Yeah, that's really, really good. Um, so I thought, oh, this... Um, so I enjoyed that. Charlie X, I remembered. 
Yes. Um, so even though, you know, it has the... Some of these storylines have the usual tropes of science fiction that you think is, like, oh, it's a adolescent with godlike powers and, you know, is uh, is being an arse, basically. <laughs> but it's... It, but they do do it with uh, a tremendous sense of um, style about it, and I like how it's written and produced and directed. And I've forgotten actually quite how atmospheric the the series could be. You know that there are elements of, of horror. In fact, today I watched Mud. No, hang on, Mud The Women. Enemy Within. That was oh, right, it. yes. Um, where there's a problem with a teleport, and Captain Kirk's personality is split into two. Yes, <laughs> and his his dark side attacks, uh, but sexually assaults one of the the women um, crew member, mm-hmm. and it's one that's a very you know powerful and disturbing scene, uh, and then later on, when she's talking about what she experienced, it, you know that scene wouldn't be out of place in a modern drama now in terms of how it's written and how it's performed and how she's traumatized by it. I thought that was that it was really powerful. Um, so that's been great. And then, you know how William Shatner has developed this reputation of being a really overblown hammy actor? Yes. You go back and go, how did he get that reputation? He's a good actor. Mm. Um, I th- you know, uh, I haven't s- I've seen him in other things outside of Star Trek, um, but watching him play Captain Kirk, you go, no, that's, that's a good performance. Um... It really is, um, mm-hmm. even more so uh, when when it comes to the films. I think so. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the idea is is that uh, I'm not going to rush through it because I'm enjoying them. I think when I do sit down and watch them, I'm, I'm doing the thing of I try and work in two episodes a day. Yeah. Um, but you know, just go with it, enjoy the series, and then when I finish, then at some point I'll, I'll go and watch the films. But I, it's been really good just to go back and to the original series and just enjoy it and revel in, yeah, there's a reason why it was iconic and why people still remember it and people mm. still enjoy it. And um, yeah, it's been it's been great. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've been watching much uh, apart from a bit more Marvel. I'm working my way through Jessica Jones at the minute. I'm on season three. In season two, David Tennant had uh, a few more cameos because his character had his neck broken in season one. Oh, okay. Um, but in season two, um, Jessica is kind of stuck with him in our in our mind. So, uh, so he's there on our conscience. Mm-hmm. Some of the scenes. Uh, he, in in fact, in the final of season three, I'm pretty sure he's also in the final scene as well. So I, I think. Um, if they had done more, I think maybe we would have seen more of him. He was good in that, though. Uh, I haven't seen much else this week, though. Sadly. <laughs> I did listen to a Doctor Who audio today called Planet of the Ogrons from the Time War. Oh, okay. Um, so, we're given much, many spoilers. There's an Ogron who seems to be the Doctor... Um, it's quite a fun character though. That's <laughs> <laughs> some cool little moments. Like uh, oh, there's some great one-liners. Uh, I can't even re- remember them. Uh, there's also this great scene when he's like, he does, he does the whole Eighth Doctor screaming, "Who am I?" Uh, he, yeah, I, I, I can't say more without spoiling it because it's a fun little story. Um, I don't know where it's gonna fit in the rest of the series. Um, 
there's a lot of unanswered questions. So I'm, I'm like slowly working through the time war. Mm-hmm. No, but that sounds fun. Um, yeah. Actually, <laughs> going down the less fun route, although I have enjoyed it. One other thing um, I've watched was um, I went on to BBC iPlayer. And uh, I was going, oh, I want to watch a documentary. I want to watch a good documentary. And I was looking through the list that they have. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff uh, on the iPlayer. It's pro- this has been the case for a few years now. But there's a lot of stuff on the iPlayer which is... It's not just recent stuff. It's stuff that the BBC produced years ago. And they did a documentary in 1994 about Watergate. Oh, okay. I'll I'll watch that. And it's it's. I mean, it's very nineties. The whole title sequence and dramatic, cheesy, dramatic music. Mm-hmm. Um, but the documentary itself was really good. They had all the key players that were involved, apart from Richard Nixon, because I think he died that year, actually. Um, oh. But they had all the other key players. I mean, the the people who broke into the Watergate offices and all the rest of it. Gordon Liddy, who was the, the man who was in charge of all that and arranged the team. It's like I'm not surprised you got caught. You're a moron, but I, I learned I learned a lot more about because it was a five part documentary. And it was really really interesting, and there was stuff about Watergate which I hadn't I never knew before. Like for example, I never knew that they had um, it Watergate wasn't the first break in. There were I've forgotten the name of the politician, but there was a Democratic politician who was very good at criticizing uh, Richard Nixon and they're leading they're going into the nineteen seventy two presidential election. So what they wanted to do was get um some information on this this Democrat and, and rubbish him. And what they thought they would do is like, right, okay, we will we will arrange a covert operation to break into his psychoanalysis office steal his medical records and see if there's anything there that we can start leaking to the press and, and rubbish him. But obviously it's got to be covert. No one needs to know. No one must know that, you know, there was a break-in and, and all the rest of it. So they get this guy, Gordon Liddy, who, uh, and he is a government official in charge of spy and stuff. I've forgotten his official title. So he uh, arranges all this and arranges his team. And they go to break into the psychoanalysis's office. And the mm-hmm. door that they intended to go through at the back is locked and they can't physically get in. Um, so they've balled that up and they went, well, there's a window over there that we can get into. But the thing is, Rob, the, the window is covered, with, uh, covered in iron bars. Okay. Uh, so being a covert operation, they do the obvious thing. They rip the bars off the window. <laughs> uh, as you do, then, yeah. As you do. And then they, uh, so they get into the building, go into the psychoanalysis's office and of course, they do the thing which professional covert op- operation, uh, operators would do: is they completely trash the office, and uh, Jimmy opened the filing cabinet. And yes, in the documentary, you actually see the, the, the photographs that the police took, and you can tell that someone's been ransacking the office. It's nothing covert at all. <laughs> they get the papers, and after all this, um, they. Um, there wasn't anything. There was no information at all that they that they could use. But I learned that and I went, oh, I didn't realise there was that first break-in. And then there's the other thing as well, which I didn't know. So when it came to the actual Watergate break-in, they, uh, they, had, they had to break in twice, which I never knew. I thought it was just one break-in and they bolstered it up. Mm-hmm. No, they, they did two and they bolstered them up, but in different ways. So they broke into the Watergate office um, with the task of... They needed to bug the telephone of the of a Democratic politician and photograph some of the documents. Uh, he assembles the same team that he had 
for that first mm. break in which they bulged up. Um, and then, so they break into the Watergate offices, they photograph some of the documents, but the thing is, rather than booking the telephone of the politician, they book the telephone of the receptionists. They're in and out five, ten minutes. So they're in and out and they don't get caught. But the problem is, uh, because they've booked the phone of the receptionists, it's the typical, you know, and this being the early 70s, the receptionists just talk amongst themselves about when they're booking the next hair appointment and stuff. So they go, oh, um, the information that we're getting from these tap phones isn't what we want. Um, You need to get your arses back and actually do a proper job bug the politician's um, uh, telephone and actually what we want you to do is not just photograph some of the documents we want to photograph all the documents in the office so what should be a 10 minute job has now become several hours so anyway they break they go back into the office um, but they haven't been there for that long and that's when they finally get caught in the whole you know and eventually but but yeah there was loads of stuff I I was like oh this is really interesting um, and they, they go through the whole thing with the five episodes. So they talk about the, the break-in in the first episode, you know, uh, what led up to that and what happened. And then they do, you know, the cover-up, uh, the investig, you know, and then how it starts leaking to the press and start investigating and then leading up to the actual impeachment. But oh, I enjoyed watching that. That was good. Yeah. Really balls that up then, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Massively. And the thing is, it's like, it's it's one of those things of going if they actually got someone else other than Gordon Liddy to arrange the break in, you know, someone who was actually competent, um, re- they could have got away with it, which is you know kind of scary. But yeah, it's it's like it's not surprising that you that they got caught because they're friggin' useless. <laughs> you got this guy Gordon Liddy who's in charge of it all, and he's actually being interviewed. Uh, he he he's in the docu- uh, documentary. And everyone's talking about him, and he said like he, he he was coming up with all these stupid crackpot ideas, and we had to go. Well, actually, why don't we do something much more simple? And anyway, yeah, it's it's interesting. So if anyone's interested in in that sort of thing, and what you know, go to the BBC iPlayer, and it's it's there. It's 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 simply called Watergate, and it's uh, uh, it's five episodes, um, and they did it. You know, they they did a really good job putting that documentary together. Oh, I'll put that on the list. You got any plans to go to the cinema? I have started to get in the mood to go back. Uh, at the moment, um, there's not, there's nothing that's sort of leaping out for me to want to see. I know people are really talking about this thing called licorice pizza. Um, I don't know much about what that film is, and I don't. I, it's probably really stupid. The title's really putting me off. It's. <laughs> I like licorice. I like pizza. But the idea of mush. It's. Just, I don't know where the title comes from, but it just sounds revolting, and it's. it's Stupid, but it's kind of put me off. How about yeah. you? Any plans to go to the cinema? Um, no, where what's on? Um, any any major films due out? I know Doctor Strange two isn't out for a good few months. Maybe Easter time. Hmm. Hang on, I'll have a look at if we've just had a retweet. Uh, someone's retweeted something we said in twenty twenty in January. Oh, what did we say? We said Spyfall didn't disappoint. Part one hit the ground running, hit the ground running, and kept that momentum going. As we know and to expect, part two was a different breed, but still brilliant with excellent character dynamics and much needed Doctor Master banter. <laughs> Lots of mystery and felt like modern serialized drama. Nine out of ten. 
Oh, okay. And are they retweeting that because they went, this hasn't dated well? Or <laughs> I don't know. It's bizarre. Uh, I had some free credit to use on Facebook ads. Right. Um. Uh, so I promoted uh, a soundbite in a promotion for last week's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's reached a few hundred people, but the only interaction we've had is someone saying, stop effing spamming my feed or something. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, at least we know it's reaching people, I suppose. But that was great. <laughs> um, I've banned them, by the way. All right. So, are we saying something about the cinema? Yeah, no, I was just uh, I was just having a look at actually there there is one film I would like to see which is called Belfast, um, uh, which has got um, some favorable reviews and quite an unusual. It's a it's it's a comedy set as the title suggests in Belfast. I think do, during the Troubles. Oh, and okay. it, it kind of going. It's interesting subject matter for a comedy, um, but oh, it's yeah, meant to be quite good. What else? Oh, there's the new Scream movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jackass Forever. Didn't know that was a thing. Yes, I, I've got a mate of mine who's massive. You know, who who's really looking forward to, to watching that. And apparently, there's been some legal problems and and all the rest of it, which uh, has massively delayed the release of that film. So I think the fact he was telling me all about it, and so mm. I think any Jackass fans will probably be right. Finally, we can we can watch it. Um, there's a movie called Oh, The King's Men's still out. The Matrix, The Matrix Resurrections, which I still haven't seen. No, neither have I. Sounds sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spider Man um, No Way Home. How's a Gucci still out? Uh, which I'm, I'm surprised at. Or oh, Spider Man No Way Home. Have you seen that yet? No. No, I saw the. It's a really weird motif because all the Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland all have home in the title and it's a bit of a strange motif to have. Um, I saw whatever his first one was. Was that No Way Home? It was Homecoming. Oh, Homecoming. Right, okay. Uh, I didn't see the the second one which was... Far From Home. Far From Home. And what's this? No Way Home. (laughs) No Way Home. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That'll go... Yeah. I can see myself getting yeah. sort of like muddled up and confused. Yeah, I think I'll just refer. I've seen the one where Michael Keaton's in it, and I thought that was really good, but I haven't gone right. Right. I haven't got round to seeing the other ones. Nah, Michael Keaton's character returns um, in a Jared Leto film this year called Morbius. Oh, okay. It's a solely produced film that is um, kind of. A spin-off from the Spider-Man series, but um, by you could potentially say it's not entirely canon to the MCU yet. Who knows? <laughs> Very confused. Right. Okay. Um, but that's out. That's that's been produced with um, the other spin-offs like Venom. Right. Okay. Have you seen Venom with Tom Hardy? No, I saw the trailer. Went. Mm, not. Yeah. Funny. Not for me. Um, I haven't seen the second one. 
No. Oh, I mean, yeah, it just seems to be... It's it's not my type of thing. I mean, I remember when the, the trailer for the first Venom movie came out and uh, I just went, that just looks terrible. Um, and I'll, I'll just quickly say something. So anyone who doesn't want any Spider-Man No Way Home spoilers, just close your ears for 20 seconds. Um, cover your ears, rather. How can you close your ears? It's crazy. Um yeah, Tom Holland's Venom is in the uh, mid-credit scene for Spider-Man. Right, okay. Um, but he's from a different universe. Oh, of course he is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would be, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he doesn't get... Uh, it must be teasing like a bit of a, um, a meet-up at some point, because he's there and then he gets sucked back to his Earth. Right. Right. <laughs> Or what I'm thinking of when Venom is just the immortal lie. Like a turd in the wind. And just go off. <laughs> With a fantastic dialogue like that. Uh, just, it's amazing I didn't want to watch the film. Just wait till you get to uh, Star Trek Nemesis, the 10th one. Then you've got baby Tom Hardy playing a young clone of Picard. Oh, is that who he plays? I knew he was in the film. And he looks very yeah. thin. And bald, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, he was really young. Yeah. The Because uh, as I said, I haven't seen all the Star Trek films. I've seen, I have I definitely know I've seen First Contact when it comes to the new generation stuff. Mm, that was um, really good. It, considering, yeah, it was, it was a good, good next-gen film. Uh, my in, memory of it was just being quite... My memory of it is, is that all I remember is just like, there's a lot of it that seems to be filmed in California. The stuff between Kirk and Picard. The, and oh, I th- no, that you're thinking of Generations. Kirk wasn't in First Contact. Oh, I'm getting the titles mixed up. That then. was a bad film, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sorry. I was going to say, I was like, really? I'm just, my memory of Generations. So, hang on. It's <laughs> Generations I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, right, First okay. Contact was the Borg one. Oh, right. I don't think I've seen that. And the Borg are okay. good. Um, yes, so sorry. First Contact. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just remember thinking that... It's one of those, like, you know, fan ideas that, you know, that, that, that fan... You know, ideas that fans have of something, which is, oh, wouldn't it be really good if, in this case, you know, Captain Kirk met Picard? And yeah, that's quite a nice idea, I think, for fans to have and kind of relish in, you know, their own imagination about it. But when it comes to... The actual official uh, people putting it out there—it always disappoints. A bit like, wouldn't it be really good if the dogs and the Cybermen were in the same story? Mm. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah it just doesn't work. Uh, and I remember it was like, an interesting idea, but I, th- I don't—I think it shouldn't have been done mm-hmm. at yeah. all. Um, you, because Kirk obviously doesn't die in his final proper film standalone film um the original series movie number six um mm-hmm. and it, that was a good enough ending um i don't think they needed to give him closure by killing him yeah yeah but uh, at some point i will get around to the i remember this might be first contact or you you go no 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 Lee, and that's that's nemesis or something <laughs> i remember seeing a clip of one where uh there's a space battle going on there's an explosion and you just cook cut to data and you have data going shit and you're just going oh my 
god, what the hell? What have they done? So yeah, I think uh, I think whenever I get round to the next generation of films, I'm just going to relish at how yeah. <laughs> kind of naff they are. Although yeah. there might be one or two good bits in it, or one or two good films uh, in it. I don't know. Are there? In the Are next, gener- films in next generation films, yeah. Okay, well, well we've got generations, uh, which is the one with Captain Kirk. That that is actually also the one with oh shit. Um, ah, right, okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> then we have First Contact, which is quite good. It uh, they get new outfits, new Enterprise, uh, which is the Enterprise E Sovereign class. Um, then we have Insurrection, which is a bit naff. When you consider it as a, as a think of it as a a new episode of the Next Generation, then it's fine. Uh, but as a movie, it was lacking in some ways. Right. Okay. Then we had number ten, which was Nemesis, and um, it it's not a fan favorite, but it. It is one of the more significant ones. Uh, it's a it's a very hard one to describe. A lot of people hate Nemesis. That's the one with Tom Hardy, mm. um, and the cast have spoken out about how um, creatively it it kind of went off the rails a bit. Oh, okay. Um, in some ways, but um, I mean, it was all right. Then some of the action stuff's good, character stuff. Um, there was meant to be more in there, and I think it was kind of toned down a bit. Uh, I mean, it's a significant story. It it's um, it has lasting effects on the Picard series that's out now. Um, in fact, season two trailer um, for Picard just came out this week. It looks alright. Oh, okay. Looks interesting. More time travel. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. But anyway, yeah, so uh, at the moment, just going back to what we were saying before, is I'm kind of in a in a Star Trek mood and just wanting to... Because as I said, it's a series... I mean, I didn't... In terms of the, the original series, I haven't seen that since... Oh, I don't know, since I was eight or something like that? Because it was on when I was a kid. Oh. Um, remember the BBC showing it. Uh, so I haven't seen... You know, so it's been 20-odd years since I last watched it. And it's it's been nice just to kind of rev... Sort of remembering it a little bit but kind of discovering it anew that's really good yeah yeah and um and it's going to be good when i think uh, when when i because i do plan to do this when i get around to the next generation um okay. series because uh, i remember really liking that just enjoying it um i thought q was a really good character i liked it when he he's up. back is he oh yeah, right, okay. he's, if, if you look for the new trailer yeah q's back yeah, really, uh, really like that character. Um, I liked it when the Romulans popped up. Um, oh. and the Borg. Yes, the Borg classic. You know, the the, the hand. You know, the, the, they were great. I remember um, what's uh, uh, what's Worf again? He's a Klingon. Yeah, I remember whenever the uh, the. The Klingons came in the next... I didn't really enjoy those episodes, I think. Oh, right. Um, I mean, there's not not a great deal until um, a few seasons down the line when you um, delve into, like, Worf's family. Um, more so in Deep Space Nine, because Worf joins that as well. Um, oh, I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Ah, oh, okay. 
there's a lot of Klingon stuff in some of the new stuff, like Discovery, um, mm. but it kind of goes down a different route. It's, it's it's quite overwhelming, really, isn't it, for a new <laughs> viewer? Yeah, yeah, because it's it's yeah. I think that's the thing. I think just I, I think, think if like you want to get into Star Trek, I think probably start with the original series or Next Generation, and then just you know just totally go with agree. the flow and then see whichever direction it takes you in. Yeah. Having said that, though, because I know that a lot of Star Trek fans say. It makes sense to do this, but for the love of God, don't. When it comes to the next generation, start with series three. Do not start with the first series. Couldn't it's... disagree more. Um, I, obviously, I, I think that's a legitimate thing to say to an extent, but um, it's grounded a lot in in season one, I think, in some ways. Even though the, the, the story writing is quite different. Yeah, I think... I mean, as I say, because I haven't watched it in years, so... I. Um, but I know that a lot of fans tend to say that because it's like it's because uh, the, the common consensus seems to be the show is very much finding its feet. It could be quite dry. There are some stinking episodes in there. Series yes. two is a bit better. Series three is one though. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, I, I'll be doing that when when I, when I get round to getting uh, the next generation. I'll start with series one. Right. But I think that's enough Star Trek on a, what's uh, supposed to be a Doctor Who podcast. Yes. Is this when we announce uh, the new podcast, Trekkin? Trekkin? I'm sure there's probably a one. Yeah, there probably is. Yeah. Have you ever heard that song, Star Trekkin? Yeah. <laughs> it's classic. Love that song. I would listen to it now. But yeah. Um, so we're on to a new segment, uh, Meal of the Week. Did you know this was coming? I know you mentioned something about when we were texting each other about uh, arranging this podcast. I, I know, he didn't respond. I thought, okay. <laughs> I'll, just, what, I'll just go with the flow with it. <laughs> okay, so Meal of the Week is a regular segment on neither the Time Nor Space podcast. They don't oh, so want it, it. They don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. okay. We can so... have it. <laughs> they've also been... So they've, they've cancelled Meal of the Week. No, they've cancelled listeners' responses. Um, maybe we should do that because we've had thirty-two a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just got inundated. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, Liam, what's your meal of the week? So hang on, while they're doing the thing of streamlining their podcast, we're just, <laughs> we're just we're bogging ours out. <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, <laughs> bogging hours down with random segments. Yeah. What's my meal of the week? Um, oh, had a really nice homemade chicken curry. Oh, nice. Um, How did you cook that? Um, <laughs> is it in a pan or a slow cooker? No, no, uh, do it in a pan. So, you know, um, I always find when uh, cooking a curry, always get the, the base of it right. So when you're... it's not, It wasn't out of a jar. No, no, no. It was uh, all it was all home cooked. So you know, you you do you do your onions, and then you add your uh, your cumin seeds and things like that, and then get the ba- you know the base of it right, and then you then you add the rest of the ingredients. So we had spinach there, and obviously we had chicken, and you know a little bit of chili and all the rest of it, and then you add your curry powder and da 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 da. There's no reason to add anything from a jar. You'll you know you do it all home cooking. Yeah. So that was really nice. So just trying to think if. Yeah, I'd probably say that was probably the the meal the meal of the week. Although um, yesterday I had a real craving for uh, beans on toast, uh-huh. so I had beans on toast and <laughs> I really enjoy that. So it's a toss up between those two, <laughs> but I'll go for the chicken homemade chicken curry. How about That's you? That's pretty cool. Um, 
Well, you mentioned beans and toast. I've just had, it was a quick meal, I've just had out of the air fryer, chips and beans and corn chicken nuggets. Oh, very nice. Yeah, just a, just a last minute, what's in the freezer? Mm-hmm. That's all that's there. Yeah. Have got, if I got any Yorkshire puddings, no, oh, well, I'll not have gravy, or oh, I'll open a tin of beans. That <laughs> was pretty much it. <laughs> and 15 minutes later, I was eating. So, very quick meal. <laughs> um. Yeah, I've got to say I'm very lazy when it comes to making curry. I'll, I'll literally, even if I plan it out, and it's like, oh, I'll, I'll start at eight hours earlier in the slow cooker. And you know, I, I don't eat meat, so I don't, eat, mm. don't even need to cook that. So, but I'll still like, I've been, I'm, I'm guilty of throwing a few jars in the slow cooker. All right, okay. <laughs> oh God. Um, what, what do you have with a curry? Do you, do you have naan and poppadoms? Or none of those. No, well, if it, uh, I'll probably, you know, I'd have those if it, if I was in a in a restaurant or if, or if I've ordered a, an Indian takeaway or something like that, I, yeah. I'll probably have like a, a naan and. Um, we didn't have prob- those this week. No, 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 no. Because um, oh. I've never actually done a homemade. I've never really. I've uh, I've never made um, naans or anything in the house. No. Um, should give it a go sometime, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the usual. Just I uh, usually have it with rice. Nice, that's cool. Um, so my meal of the week is a lot less lazy than that. Is a lot more lazy than that. Sorry, <laughs> right, I, okay. say. Um, I haven't got much to choose from because it's been basic meals. Um, because been busy with work. Uh, I'm gonna go with the cheap pizza I had from Hollywell. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with that? Just, yeah. yeah, so it's like um, Indian tandoori, just nice. Cheap pizza, I had cheesy chips, and normal chips, and mm-hmm. pizza. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, can't wait to see what what's on the uh, meal of the week for next week. Hope I can top that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, before we move on, any news? Uh, I know there's been a few Target books announced. I'm not sure what they are. Uh, oh, I know the Android Atara's one. Um, oh, I did. Yeah, I did read those. Uh, I can't. You read them already? No, no, I read the titles. I haven't read the books. Um, I think there's a there's a couple of uh, new series stuff in there as well. I wish I could remember. I have read it. Uh, oh, right. are, but there's also a bit of a rumor going around. Uh, I did ignore it at first, but more places seem to be talking about it. That is this the David Tennant rumor? A David Tennant might be back. I can't just, see just, that. just for a little while mm. I, I don't want that to be true it's, I mean it's you're right an awful lot of places are reporting it mm. um, so it seems to be getting some sort of traction uh, but yeah it's a bit odd but mm. um, I know they've spoke about it over the years before Russell was confirmed to come back mm. um, and while Chris Chimmel was producing the show um, himself, David Tennant, and John Barman um, said they wanted to do a movie, a Doctor Who movie. But obviously that wasn't going to happen. But that kind of implied that they would, they would want to work together again. Yeah. Uh, actually, sorry, I've got the list of the the Target book. So it's the Androids oh, cool. of Tara, uh-huh. uh, the Zygon Invasion, yeah, uh, the Fires of Pompeii, the Stones of Blood, and the Eaters of Light. Uh, who wrote the Fires of Pompeii? Is that Russell? Uh, no, James Moran. 
Right, is there no Zygon Inversion? It's like a two-in-one book. No, I think they called it the Zygon Invasion, and I, I suspect it is that, that two-parter, but just yeah, under the Yeah, that would be frustrating. Yeah. It's just part one. <laughs> um, but yeah, just but going back to the... I mean, would you like to see David Tennant back in the, the series? Yes and no. I think a big yes, that would be interesting. You know... If he was back, I'm sure it would be good. But in the same way, it's it's not really um, giving us anything fresh. Mm-hmm. Just a step backwards. And then yeah. when he goes, um, does that mean what comes next isn't going to be as good in, in Russell's mind? I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a funny one. I'd be Personally speaking, I'd be very surprised if it's true and it comes out. But if it is, I, I, I'd be like... Re- Really, I mean, obviously, I'd watch it, but again, that goes into I'd watch it because we're probably <laughs> probably doing the podcast yeah. still, and so yeah. we need to watch it if we're going to talk about it. But I think otherwise, my reaction would be really, I think I'm kind of done. There doesn't seem to be anything new. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to go down the route of re-exploring past doctors, shouldn't they actually go to some past Paul doctors? McGann? Well, yeah, or anyone else? Yeah. Mm. Who would you who would you pick over um, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, or McCoy? What in terms of bringing them back? Yeah, if you had to pick one. Of 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 oh, so so of those. Yeah, of those three. Um, who would you definitely not? Who would you kick out straight away? Oh, that's really tricky. Right. Okay. I'm surprised I'm saying this because he's a damn good actor, not just in terms of playing the Doctor but in general but I think I would oh, I was going to say kick out Peter Davison yeah I would I would say the same um, as much as I like him and I like his Doctor I think there's 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 more scope with the other two and I think also um, the fact he was in Time Crash I know that was an awful long time ago but you know he's because of that he's been tied into the, the revived series so he has appeared in it. Yeah. Um, I think I'd probably pick Colin Baker. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Because I think there's uh, something really interesting you could do, with, you know, with with bringing him back. Hmm. You know, I wonder if the rumor is true, but it might <clears> be all of them. Because if, it, if um, Russell's doing the 60th, he might do um, a celebration of the show and have everyone back revisiting old faces, like um, Tom Baker said. Yeah. It's funny because I think um, I think at this point, when it comes to... I mean, when you know, we all like the multi-doctor stories when it comes to doing an anniversary. Um but I would like to do see them do something a bit more different because I think mm. you can't really rely on that, and then it's going to become more and more difficult. And you know, doing a multi-doctor story, I don't want. I'm sorry, but I'm kind of bored with the, David Tennant as the Doctor, and I think because mm. even after all this time, there's still a lot of focus put on him. And I knew he's immensely popular and everything, but uh, yeah, he's already done his return, and it yeah, he's done it his tied return in really well. Bring someone else back. Actually, what I would like. If I were in charge of the show, I would try to do it this way, which is uh, tell original stories. You can obviously bring back 
old enemies if you can mm. tell an interesting story with them but tell original stories but celebrate the history of the show by doing a series of the episodes which reflect each of the series so uh I, th- this will never happen but my so- my my dream would be uh, you would open up the series with a two-part story and it would be entirely in black and white the first episode will be, would appear to be straight historical, reflecting the William Hartnell era. Then you go into the second episode and make it a base under siege science fiction story, um, reflecting the Patrick Troughton era. Then you go back into colour, and then which the rest of the series would be, and then you would have something like uh, an Earthbound adventure that reflects mm. the John Pertwee. You know, sort of do it that way. That's what. How do you imagine that would play out? Um, who who would be in it? No, it would be whoever, you know, whoever would be the current Doctor. Oh, the current I mean is, Doctor, I see. But I, the, I the stories themselves, uh, in some way, would reflect mm. um, you know, the history of the show. Yeah. Um, recently, Marvel's um, WandaVision did a show, um, and it, it kind of um, progressed through the through the decades um so the first episode was completely black and white four by three um as like a sitcom oh okay you know and that that did really well so i think television can do stories like that it's not like uh it's not ridiculous but yeah oh okay yeah could happen and actually when when they brought twin peaks back for the return the third series um i think it's episode eight um it has a little bit of a sort of like a ten-minute part of the story at the beginning, and then it and then it goes back to um, the um, the fifties, and then the rest, the whole of the episode, apart from when it, when when we go into a nuclear explosion, the whole of the episodes in black and white. So yeah, it has been done before, as you said. So yeah. no reason why Doctor Who couldn't. But that's what yeah. I, you know. That's what I would quite like to see, rather than. Um, a rehash of Tenant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we have something original, please? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's it. Yeah. So, uh, I think on, <laughs> finally on with uh, the story. Oh, yeah. As if the death of his best friend wasn't enough, the Doctor's situation has only gotten worse. What initially started as an attempt to help clear some... Uh, someone of a false murder charge has evolved into something much worse now trapped in an old rusty castle in the middle of an ocean the time lord is is being stalked by a mysterious creature that only pauses when he gives his deepest secrets what does this thing want and can the doctor escape to find his way home written by Stephen Moffat produced by Peter Bennett and directed by Rachel Talali, if I pronounced that right. So we've got this opening speech with the Doctor, like quite poetic. Um, it's all about being uh, followed by the veil, one footstep at a time. But it's kind of a—is it an analogy for death? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a great opening. Then the Doctor arrives in the teleport capsule, following on from last week's episode. Um, he takes a handful of sand from the ground, probably remains of his former dead selves. So he openly speaks to whoever did this, 
um, do you think at this stage he knows who's behind it? No. No, he hasn't got a clue. I don't think he does. He goes on to explore the castle and uh, suspects that he's been through some short-range teleport mm-hmm. because he came through this capsule. I don't know if that's significant. Was the confession dial on Earth or something? I think so because in the very first going to is it called is it the Witch's Familiar anyway which whatever the very first episode of the series is which brings Missy back she mm. has the confession dial yes and so the stars in the sky I guess reflect that as well oh I liked his line about uh, gardening dictatorship for inadequates means the dirty <laughs> shovel <laughs> yeah. He sees the veil for the first time, this creature, and we see its point of view on the monitors. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he's running away, he realises he recognises it. And he says uh, later on that it was kind of a nightmare of his from when he was a boy, of someone who was kind of dead and dressed in veils and the flies were building up. So I guess this episode kind of gives a lot of hints, well, more than other stories do, about the Doctor, because on most occasions, we don't know if the Doctor's telling the truth or not. We'll get quite a few insights in this story. Mainly with his confessions. Um, he unlocks the door telepathically. What does he make of that? Yeah, I'd completely I'd completely forgotten about uh, about that until I watched uh, watched this episode. It was kind of like, oh, really? But, yeah. but actually, I didn't mind it because there's something about how it's done and how Peter Capaldi plays that part. I think it works in the episode, and so it's just like, I just went with it and went, yeah, yeah. fine. I guess the laws of physics don't really apply in there anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But uh, yeah, next time I lose my keys, I might give it a go. He confesses he's scared of dying, and the veil stops. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, And then the whole place begins to reconfigure. So this whole pattern starts to begin every time he confesses. Um, the whole place kind of shifts. He enters, is it a bedroom, I think? Um, he sees the portrait of Clara is very old um, and then the veil, the veil creeps up on him and this is where he reveals uh, his nightmare from when he was a kid so then he jumps out the window and I don't know which came first this or Sherlock but maybe one maybe inspired the other because there's a scene in Sherlock where he gets shot and he kind of slows down to process freezing time and and he's kind of having a bit of an out-of-body exper- experience, analysing everything that's happened, deciding he's going to survive. And he chooses how to do that. And then he thinks, well, I've been shot, but the bullet hasn't went through, so I need to land on my back. Um, and then he eventually just falls backwards. So that was a similar situation here when the Doctor kind of speeds up his thought process to slow the fall down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that episode of Sherlock. No, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of episodes of Sherlock, actually. There's a lot of Doctor Who Easter eggs in there. In fact, the TARDIS is in there for one scene. Is it? All right. Yeah, it's in Hounds of Baskerville. Uh, in the opening scene, um, the camera pans down and there's the TARDIS in the woods. All right. It's just there. <laughs> so, in the TARDIS, when the Doctor's fallen, what does he call it? It's um, a storm room or something. Um, Clara's there, but she's kind of this faceless figure facing the other way, instructing him on the chalkboard. Did you think Clara wasn't coming back after the previous week? <laughs> it's new Doctor Who we're talking about. Of course she was going to come bloody back. 
You didn't just kill her off and then... Oh, gee. Right, this is one of the things. So, this is this is the second episode in what is a three-part story, really. Face the Raven, I thought, was a really good story. And I thought um, it gave Clara a very strong... Uh, ending and it was befitting her character because during, especially during the well it was really during the Capaldi era there was this whole thing about how they're good and bad for each other because actually they're very similar and there's a whole thing about you know Clara becoming like the Doctor mm. um, and what we see in Face the Raven in fact because it, it's mentioned in this episode in Hellbent you know when he's digging into digging the digging in the garden uh, you know the, the Doctor makes reference to the fact that what got Clara killed was the fact that she was behaving like he would. Um, and I thought that, you know, the, when she died in that episode, I thought it was very strong, very good for the character, and it should have left at, should have left at that. I think um, bringing Clara back in this episode in the way that she did, because it's within the Doctor's mind and its memories. Perfectly fine, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Where the problem lies... We're not gonna we're not gonna talk about it because I don't want to. But um, all what I'll say about it is that it in the following episode, huge huge mistake. I'm guessing we're not doing Hellbent next week. Uh, oh, I've let the cat out of the bag. No, we're not doing it next week. You may be trying to throw me off. <laughs> no, I can't be bothered to pretend that I like the following episode. It sucks. <laughs> it does have one nice scene in it though so it's you know the, 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 doesn't matter how you know you can have your good episodes of Doctor Who you have your, your bad episodes on occasion but there'll always be something good in it mm. and that does actually have the fact it's it's a scene when they're when they're in the cloisters and when Clara finds out how long the Doctor was held in the confession dial yes four and a half billion yeah, I think it was. Yeah. And the doctor's just going to forget it. And when she go, and she's shocked by that, and she, you know, she goes to the tunnels and they went, "You don't know how much you're hated." That scene, I think, is superb. Mm. I think, you know, in terms, in terms of how it's written and certainly how it's performed, it's great. Um, but it's just the, the, it's just the rest of the episode is just absolutely awful. And the fact that they brought Clara back, and especially in the way that they did, bah, awful. Yeah. But mm. anyway, um, we're here to talk about good stuff, Rob. We're here to talk about this episode. So I've had That's my rant. Let's, let's focus on the good stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Doctor decides, well, he goes through all this um, stuff in his head about the gravity um, because he threw the chair out the window. He threw the flowers down. He dropped the eyepiece for the local mm-hmm. gravity and stuff like that. So, and he counted the, the stool full of the water and he... He smelled the salt water. So um, he's done this really clever thing to calculate how far he's got to fall. Uh, and also, and he assumes like a diving position. Yeah. Um, so he can survive the fall. Uh, but it does knock him unconscious. Is it, do we see skulls at this point? I think we do. Yes, yes Skulls we do, yeah. under the ocean, which is mm. visually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't kind of want to wake up, but... Uh, he has this internal thing with Clara and Jane prompts him. So, um, so he gets out of the water, drenched, soaked and wet, and he goes inside. And conveniently, there's this nice, cosy fireside for him to sit by. Um, nice set of dry clothes there. Mm-hmm. Same clothes he's wearing. 
Um, so this is this is kind of like the bootstrap paradox that Capaldi, I think, mentioned earlier on in the show. Mm-hmm. Earlier, on, earlier on in the series, I think. Yeah, yeah. With these clothes from the previous time loop passing on to him and he leaves his clothes. Um, one thing I thought originally, do, do you think the very first Capaldi in the first time loop took his clothes off and just continued with the story naked? <laughs> Something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Not too much, though. Had to start somewhere. <laughs> He's got these dry clothes, hangs the clothes up for the next for the next Doctor. I thought that was a really nice um, piece of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the Doctor finds this hexagonal hole in the ground. Is that meant to resemble something? Does it resemble the, the hatch in the ground in the cloisters in Hellbent? I don't know. I wasn't sure if I if I was meant to think it was something else. Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure actually because no, yeah, nothing seems to because you have all these chalk arrows pointing to it. Nothing seems to come out of it though, does it? In terms of no, yeah, that's a, it's one bit of the story I was I was confused by. Yeah, apart from like the geometry of it all, it's like hexagonal, like the TARDIS console, um. But it was a missing piece that he goes to find. Um, so I feel like there's more to learn there. I didn't mm-hmm. pick up on. So the Doctor starts to figure out that maybe he's meant to be scared of the, of the monitors on the walls and the, and the monster. Um, I think it's there to, there to scare him. And um, it's this big killer puzzle box. So he kind of relishes in that for a moment. Doesn't he say it's Christmas or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he finds the garden with the fresh grave. Again, are we meant to read something at like this? Like, it's a fresh grave, like it could be Clara? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, could be, because obviously the, the, there's, a, the, there's a lot of theme about death in this episode. So he he's grieving Clara, but he's being chased by a, a symbol of death. He dies repeatedly in this, this episode, so... Yeah, kind of ties in with the theme. <laughs> yeah, kind of loosely. Um, so it's sort of is it you know is it meant to represent Clara's grave? Is it supposed to represent the Doctor's grave or both? Which mm. would actually make sense. The fact that you know because they were sort of becoming one and the same in some respects. So mm, yeah. So he continues to dig, or rather, he starts to dig. Sorry, he realizes that. He's probably got about an hour before the veiled creature turns up, so enough time to dig a hole. Mm-hmm. But then he realises some flies are coming, so the veiled creature's coming. I jumped at this bit when he opened the door. Because he's looking at the monitor, and what he's seeing is a, a very close image of something wooden. And I thought, well, he's it's obviously just looking at the back of the door. Yeah. So I, I I was watching it going, why is the doctor opening the door? <laughs> <laughs> And then being shocked that it was was all going to be anywhere else. No surprise to you. Yeah, so I I was surprised uh, and jumped with the grave. Yeah, that was a good bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, after it it goes off, um, he he digs some more, um, looks up to the stars as well, notices they're not where they should be. Mm -hmm. Um, And he finds this missing hexagonal slab um, from from the room. Which says I am in twelve, which which is, I guess, the walls in room twelve. But 
He's also the twelfth Doctor. Uh, ties in somewhere. So the creature lunges at him from uh, beneath the soil somehow. In moments before it grabs him, he goes back into his um, his little headspace, his storm room, and he figures out that it's after a confession because it stopped the first time round when he said, "Did he say he was afraid?" Yes, the yeah. first time round, I. And he realised that that's the only thing that can kind of stop it. But in his, in, the, in his headspace, he also tells Clara that. Um, there are truths that you'll never tell, not for anything, which is interesting. You know, the Doctor knows knows more than you'll he'll ever let on. Mm-hmm. So he returns in his confessions like, I didn't leave Gallifrey because I was bored. I left because I was scared. Mm-hmm. And that kind of works. Uh, in your head, um, does that mean anything to you? In the War Games, uh, which is Patrick Troughton's last episode... Um... Jamie and Zoe ask why why he left his home planet. It's not called Gallifrey in the series at that point. Um, but they ask him what if, why he left Gallifrey. And he says, well, because I was bored. So um, when Capaldi's Doctor in this episode says, I didn't leave Gallifrey because I was bored. That's always been a lie. That's, what's, that's, that's where it's going back to, Troughton's last episode. But it raises a, it raises a question of going, well, what was he scared of? And then we'll have the whole chat. Um, it's funny, the day you lose someone it isn't the worst. At least you've got something to do. Um, it's all the days um, that they stay dead. That's kind mm. of the worst. Which is kind of interesting. When like you don't have you don't have time to grieve hardly because you're dealing with the death. Yeah. The doctor starts to test the the creature's speed, timing it. And he yep. figures out he can get a maximum of eighty two minutes to eat and, and sleep and work um, I don't know what he's eating oh I do know what he's eating do you know what he's eating soup isn't it it's soup yeah he also mm. eats soup in that uh, the episode we don't speak of <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. yeah it must be nice um, he can, so he can eat his soup literally walk out the room and walk back in and it resets a lifetime supply of soup. <laughs> I like it. Um, no wonder he didn't leave for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Must be some damn good soup. So yes, he goes on to say that the rooms do refresh themselves. Um, like it's a closed energy loop or something. Or maybe he's in hell. He ponders. Oh, then he goes back to the uh, room with the, the teleporter. I was going to say the transporter room, but that's more... Um, more Star Trek. That's <laughs> Star Trek again, yeah. He says the two two events in everyone's life that nobody remembers: being born and dying. Well, yeah, you wouldn't remember you were dead. That <laughs> no. Although, wouldn't the doctor remember <laughs> when oh, he's yeah. died? Because he's done it an awful lot. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a load of shite. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's only one one event in your life. That you don't remember, and that's being born. Mm-hmm. He says, "Is that why you stare into the eye sockets of a skull?" I mean, do we all do that? <laughs> do it all the time, Rob. <laughs> what with my collection of skulls I've got here. Also, in the teleporter room, he finds the word "bird" written on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what would your last word be? Uh... <laughs> I'll let you know. 
<laughs> have a think. Yeah. So then he goes up to the top turret and he kind of places the skull on the ledge because later on it does fall off and that's why there's millions of skulls um, at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. I did read someone nitpicking this episode because they said this is absolutely ridiculous. After all these billions of years, the skulls would raise the sea level and all this, and it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but like, should it, everything gets reset? The laws of physics don't apply. How, how do you know what works in this confession? <laughs> Stop taking this show too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, so he locates room 12, finally, but it's blocked. Well, there's a little bit of a gap, isn't there? You can kind of peek through some glowing light from behind the wall. And he says he knows how to move the wall as long as he doesn't run out of confessions. So, you know, um, whenever he's ready. Um, So he's wondering who's been playing with the stars, playing about with the stars. Um, So, yeah, maybe he doesn't know who, maybe he doesn't have a clue who's actually behind it at this stage. Because um, he says they're all the wrong places. At this stage, he says he's seven thousand years in the future, mm-hmm. and yeah. but he knows he hasn't time travelled. So still a bit of a puzzle going on. Um, but he's obviously not the first Capaldi to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been a lot. Um, so the veil arrives up there, to, and he gives another confession. He says. The hybrid long before the Time War. Um, the Time Lords knew it was coming. So there's a prophecy. And um, there's one legend about the hybrid. Half Dalek, half Time Lord. Um, but whose side would it be on? Um, he also confesses that he knows um, the hybrid is real. He knows where it is and what it is. Um, in the Doctor's mind, is he thinking of... Um, the girl is it a shielder? Possibly, or... I don't know. I mean, this is the this is one of the the really weaker story arcs of a series. This whole thing to do with the hybrid, because we never find out. I don't think it was that intriguing to begin no. with. Um, but it's like, right, okay, let let's go with it, and we never re- we never really get a definitive answer. It it's I just thought it was really weak. Um, Is there any part, part in the Doctor's mind at this stage where he he knows that the that him and Clara are the hybrid, or is that just implied to him in in Hellbent? He stays in the Confessional because he doesn't want to give up on Clara, but in the same way, is he not giving her up with his confession about her being part hybrid? I don't know. He could have given up the answer and got out any time. Mm. I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. Well, we're assuming he could, have, you know, he would have confessed and you know, uh, and it would have let him out. He could have confessed. Yeah, they've got the information that they need, and he's then trapped there forevermore. I we suppose. Yeah, yeah, he didn't know. <laughs> yeah. After this confession, he runs down to room twelve and faces the wall, where it briefly says home. Mm-hmm. Um, he presumes the TARDIS is behind there, but yeah. uh, I guess home home means Gallifrey. Mm-hmm. But he says it's made of uh, at, if I say this right, asbantium, which is four hundred times harder than diamond, twenty foot thick, 
and then he he himself seems to get the bird reference, but we don't hear it straight away. And then he's conflicted on whether to confess or not. He says, "Whatever he do, whatever he does, Clara will still be gone." So this is another part of his uh, his grief, like whatever he does, what's the point going on, kind of thing. So she then appears to him properly. So this is the first time we see her, first and only time that we see her face in the story, and she says. He's not the only person to ever lose someone. It's the story of everyone. Get over it. Beat it and break free. Yeah. <laughs> Just get over it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, yes, obviously, it's it's tragic. And you go through the grieving process. But to constantly wallow in it, it's like, no, life goes on. You have, you have to overcome it. Yeah. So, yeah. Good life lesson there, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, he refuses to confess and he punches the wall. And then he threatens to whoever put him there. He um, threatens to come for them. So then he's talking about his brother's grim, his old dart, um, dart buddies, I think it was. Hmm. And the shepherd's boy and, uh, and the veil gets him and he falls to the floor burnt. And he explains that time lords take a while to die. Um, it can take days. Yeah. So that's why they kind of die with their own kind. Then the, um, so no one can kind of bury them early. <laughs> so he knows he's got about a day and a half to reach the top of the tower. And so he crawls to the teleporter room. He figures out that uh, the skulls are his. That there was never any other prisoners here. And the stars weren't in the wrong place all along. Um, and he hasn't time travelled. He's just been there a very, very long time. So the teleporter... Has still got a it still holds a copy of him because the room's been reset, so he can be reset exactly as he was. So he, he hooks the wires up to himself because it needs some energy, um, and kind of he reset, resets himself, and then we're kind of brought full circle. So, do you like the concept of the time loop? And have we had anything similar like this in Doctor Who? Um, we have a little bit. Uh, you know, we have we have a time loop in Megloss, but it's not to the same quality of the one that we have we have here. Um I quite like the the concept of the time loop. It's it's fine, it it, it works. I'm not sure I like the idea of him you know, the, the idea of resetting the, 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 the teleporter or whatever you call it. Because then that raises the question of going, well, is it really the Doctor or is it a copy in a hard drive that con- is constantly getting re-downloaded? Mm, yeah, this is like a bit of a philosophical Star Trek conversation. <laughs> it is, actually. And funny enough, it was when I was watching it again, I just gone, this is something like you were getting Star Trek. And, and funny enough, you know, with the, with the uh, one of the recent episodes I've watched when, you know, the, the, uh, the teleporter goes wrong and you get uh, two versions of... Of Kirk and the split and all the rest of it. Yeah. But yeah, it feels like something that would be explored, in, I think, more in the Next Generation series. Mm. I'm just going, is it, you know. Um, whereas with Doctor Who, I feel, yeah, I, could, oh, I don't know. It's, uh, I feel like I, it's just uh, one of those things that don't think about it, Liam. Just accept it. Yes, yeah. it is the Doctor. Move on. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a, it's not a copy of a copy because... It's the it's the original information on the hard drive because the room's been reset. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Just like Transmatter. Mm-hmm. You know, the destroy the first person and just make a copy of them. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> Perfectly acceptable. 
so what happens after this? Uh, we get this great montage of uh, all his following life cycles and then kind of persevering through that. But we see it kind of incrementally kind of progress because we get more of his uh, the story he's telling. Uh, we finally get the bird meaning and ever closer he does finally break through. Um, so I thought that was quite a good scene, good sequence. Uh, the veil's destroyed and all these gears fall to the floor. I like how that kind of visually fits in with his opening titles. They must have took the whole concept of that from his previous series and kind of made it, in incorporated it more. I know we've had like um, the kind of gear stuff in... Um, oh, you're the, the Invasion of Time. Yeah, the Invasion of Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, but yes, we get that here where the the... We've got all the gears in the confession dial, and this uh, this this veil just drops, and all the gears come out, and then the doctor kind of breaks through, and the confession dial closes, and he kind of collects it off the ground. Then we have this boy arriving. Uh, the doctor speaks to him, and he sends him to the citadel with a message that that he's arrived. Mm. Um, we get this great reveal as the boys run along, and the camera pans. You liked the scene originally, yeah. I did. I mean, I thought at that because I thought at that point it was very early to bring Gallifrey back, mm-hmm. because with the fiftieth anniversary there was this whole thing about you know um, Gallifrey still around. The, the Doctor has to find it, and then for the whole thing of going uh, for Stephen Moffat to then go, uh, you know, right, I've hidden Gallifrey. The Doctor has to go back home the long way around, so that could be a bit of a thing. And it's like, nah, let's sod all that, and Gallifrey's back. Um, so I thought I, I did think it came back a l- far too early, but in terms of the reveal, uh, I like the scene, and I, I still do. I think I think it's good, um, you know, because they're the hiding the fact that he's on Gallifrey, but with the line, you know, but and if they ask who, you mm. know, when he's talking to the boy, if they ask who who said it tell them I came the long way around and then obviously for long term viewers or such as ourselves that's got oh we know where he is and even then the fact that's that we soon. get that track yeah I, I, I did I did like how it was done how it was written and how it was performed and directed and all the rest of it so I thought I thought it was good it's just it's just yeah. a shame that it leads into a shitty episode but <laughs> yeah. kind of promised that next week would be really good yeah and, and, and it wasn't but <laughs> <laughs> but at this moment with just this episode uh you know just going the potential is is really good this yeah good. you can imagine great things yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so then the doctor speaks directly to Rassilon, i guess when he says um you got the prophecy wrong about the hybrid um and then he says the hybrid Who's going to conquer Gallifrey is me. Mm-hmm. Um, now I remember you saying, "Oh, that was a that was a good line," and then I think I pointed out to you, he's talking about the character me, and you were like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that because yes, we talked about it. this was when it was originally broadcast." And I said, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's just you know, it was it was dramatic and." Peter Capaldi's performance of going, it's me. And I went, oh, it's really good. And then you're pointing out, oh, we've got this this character in this series called me. And I went, oh, yeah, which is stupid. So <laughs> and I went, do you think but, do you think that whole character was just to put a good spin on this line? It was all based around this scene. 
I think, <laughs> to be honest, yes. <laughs> I thought it was, because uh, I was just reading it as, re- and then when you pointed that out, I went, oh yeah, Rob, yeah, Rob's got a point there. It, it probably does have a, yeah, mm, and I, 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 it does have that double meaning. And I do think, um, I do think, yes. I guess yeah, we, we don't Moffat, know for sure what the doctor meant, but I think, I thought he meant her. Watching it again, I still think he—I still think he means him. But it does have that double meaning, and it's, I, I do think Stephen Moffat went, "Yeah, this is really clever. I've got a character called me, and I'll have him go, and it's me. It's this whole double meaning. And you've got, and then you've got me, meaning me, Liam, just going, this is stupid.' Uh, I didn't—I didn't like the character of a shielder to begin with, and then that whole, yeah, uh, oh, okay. Blair, yeah, uh, Blair. Um, yeah <laughs> well shall we go on to some listeners responses yeah yeah go on Jack Alexander said it is utterly sublime in my opinion the definition of a perfect episode the story sets and performance are phenomenal Capaldi defines this doctor uh, a man willing, willing and able to beat beat eternity in a performance that also cements him as a powerhouse actor not to mention how grief is explored mm-hmm. Mark from all of time and space pod said it's a masterclass from Capaldi Matt from neither the time nor space pod said the moment it clicked for me with Capaldi prior series he was too grumpy dark and uh, cantankerous for me but this shows his genius as an actor. Absolutely top draw, drawer work from all involved. Rod Henderson said, It's an absolute shining example of how it should be done. A perfect act one of theatre. Not sure it would have worked well with other doctors. What do you think about that, that Liam? Think other doctors could have pulled it off? Because Capaldi is a very good doctor. Oh, um, yes, yeah, Capaldi's material. <laughs> Um, I think the problem is is that um, I think funny enough I think series 9 uh, is it's not the most enjoyable for me and I I do think it has some some weak episodes in it personally but um, and I think that's the thing Peter Capaldi very good actor played the part of the Doctor exceptionally well he was great but I, I think he was he was let down with the stories he was given I think his first series is really good I know that the um, uh, the response here says he was too grumpy, but I quite liked the way that that was handled and the fact he softens, it does make his character a lot better. And I loved the fourth series, uh, his final one, I thought was, was really strong. Ah, right, yes. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, just... Just in between, just in between, it's it sort of, I think of the show becomes really hit and miss, but he himself was, was very, very good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, but could I imagine other doctors doing this? Um, I mean, they're good actors; they're capable of doing something. But to be as, as strong as Capaldi is in this episode, probably not. Mm. How about you? Could could you see anyone giving a? Obviously, it would be completely different. But could you see any of the other doctors giving as a good as performance? Um, no, um, it's the type of story I can imagine Peter Davison in, but. No, it wouldn't have been the same kind of performance. Um, David Tennant would have done a lot of talking to himself. Uh, maybe William Hartnell. 
Oh, yeah. That would have been interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. I could see that working. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. Um, Harry from Who Can Convince You podcast said, all I remember about this one, this this one time watching um, is turning it off after 15 minutes. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, how could we summarize up the last 30 minutes for him? Very briefly. Yeah, uh, what you see in the first 15 minutes is then repeated, uh, but with very slow advancements to the point where he then escapes the confession dial because that's where he's in, and he ends up on Gallifrey. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Companions of the TARDIS said, an acting masterclass, one of the best portrayals of grief and determination in the best standalone episode of the show. Jake... The Beta Jake said, uh, "It's a beautiful tribute to the scary, overwhelming process of grief, and an example of how the Doctor struggles deeply with going along with that process. He'd rather punch a diamond wall for four billion years than confront his fears and confess." Moffat said he wrote the episode uh, to make up for how he came up with a loophole, a cop out, to avoid dealing with grief in Doctor Who previously. Amy and Rory didn't lose their child, not really. She was with them all along. They grew up together. See, everything's fine. It's great to see a writer mature. And then piss all over it the following week. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but I agree with that. It was, uh, yeah. It, is it Stephen Moffat's best story? See, I just picked it as a, an alright story that I liked. I didn't. I didn't. Mm. I honestly didn't know. Everyone thought it was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thought everyone um, reserved that title for Blink, which I'm not a fan of too much. I think uh, Blink's a, a, a funny one because I think it worked very well on first viewing, and I, you know, it brings us the Weeping Angels, which is which is a good idea. I like them. I've forgotten the. I've forgotten her name now, but I, I like the main character and the actress who played her. Yeah, Sal- Sally Sparrow. Sally Sparrow, that's it. Yes, um, and I remember loving it when it was first broadcast. But yeah, I think uh, as time's gone on, um, I don't like it as much as I once did. It, uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good point because repeat value. We've had so much of the Weeping Angels already. Mm-hmm. So it's like a formula we're, we're familiar with, yeah. And it's just a doctorless episode, so... <laughs> yeah, which which is fine, you know, the, the show can, can do that uh, once in a while, and I thought, you know... I... But in terms of a Weeping Angel story, um, I know some people criticise it because we see per- perhaps too much of them, and in fact we see them move, but I much prefer um, the, uh, the Matt Smith episode with them in. Oh, yeah, I, I do quite like that two-parter. Yes, yeah, yeah. Is that the one? The first one, the Flesh and Stone one? That's the one, yes, that's yeah, it. Yeah, they're good. Kenny Smith got in touch. Possibly the most pitch-perfect performance uh, by any Doctor ever. Capaldi oozes class throughout as he goes through the stages of grief. First-class script. This is how you do a brilliant, subtle Doctor Who that's emotionally intelligent. Um, yeah, that's a good appreciation for Capaldi. Mm-hmm. Amy said, a masterpiece 
in every sense of the word, a beautiful story, phenomenal acting from Peter Capaldi, the writing, direction, music and editing was perfection, a true art piece. Rory Stevens said, The BBC spoiled the big twist at the end in the promo blurbs. Boo. Um, but it was it still wasn't enough to spoil the episode. I didn't realise there was a big uh, a big uh, reveal. Yeah, there was... Uh, I can't remember specifically what it was, but there was a no... I remember thinking at the time, the BBC publicity... Uh, really gave you know really gave a lot of way during this series as well in terms of the the trailers and also the episode descriptions i thought they really dropped the ball because uh, you know the fact obviously it's going to be a big surprise at the end that the, the doctor's back on gallifrey um but that was ruined um I, I think before even this episode was broadcast um and i remember just thinking right okay that's quite a big a big thing you've revealed Thomas Murch said, As usual, when Heaven Sent is being discussed, I'm sure that many people in this thread will explain why they think it's a magnificent masterpiece. So I'll just add that it's also hilarious. The Doctor unlocking the door near the start was worth the price of admission alone. Sabrina the Teenage Witch said, A brilliant work of art with Capaldi's outstanding solo performance as the Twelfth Doctor. Combined with Stephen Moffat's writing, uh, Rachel Talali's, uh, did I say that wrong? Uh, directing Murray Gold's music and the rest of the cast and crew who made it all possible, Heaven Sent is a top notch gem. Pamela Gaicino said Capaldi was amazing in it. Emma said, The high point of the show for me, nothing comes close, pure poetry from beginning to end. Just Perfection, a masterpiece, the best portrayal of grief, and Capaldi was phenomenal. Nobody could have performed it as well as he did. It should have won awards. Jeff NJ said, Might be my favourite episode of Doctor Who. Capaldi gives an amazing performance, and Murray Gold's score is outstanding. Tibbet said, I love Heaven Sent. It's stunning in a good way. My only situation... Sorry... My only question is why didn't the Doctor use his feet as well as his hands? Wouldn't kicking the wall have taken off billions of years? That's a good point. He probably did, just because we don't see it. Because when, <laughs> when you see how big the hole is... I mean, has he, yeah. was he not only... He couldn't have just, he, he couldn't have just been punching, uh, punching all of that, given the fact that, you know, it's... it's... No, he's, he's carved that to perfection. Yeah. Um, so yeah I think yeah he probably yeah you're right we didn't see it but I I suspect he probably did kick some of it I mean you certainly got the boots for it yeah a few headbutts yeah (laughs) yeah Jodie B said everything about it was perfect the writing the direction the music and of course the phenomenal performance by Peter Capaldi it was an absolute masterpiece it'll be a long time before we see something that brilliant on television again Maybe we never will. Wow. Twelve Doctor, Doctor with an H, said, Not just one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever, but it's one of the best episodes of TV ever. The acting, the script, the direction, the editing, the music, etc. 
It all comes together so beautifully here. The highlight being Peter Capaldi's heart-wrenching tour de, for de force performance. Jammer77 said, Personally, I think it was a hell of an episode between this and the Doctor Falls for Capaldi's best for me. Kevin Hush said, One of the best episodes. Jared Starr said, I mean, it's a masterpiece. Moffat really gave it his all. Exploring the process of grief beautifully, it's such a visual narrative and emotional powerhouse. The blatant Sherlock stuff wasn't super distracting either, either um, unlike Let's Kill Hitler. Just so long as you ignore Hellbent. <laughs> I'm guessing yeah. the Sherlock thing was the, uh, the thing I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I think so. Jed T.E. Rhodes said, Simply one of the finest episodes of Doctor Who ever produced. My Adventure in Time and Space podcast said, Rachel Tulele's experience directing horror movies really shines here. The veil is particularly inventive. Robert Payne said, The Doctor could have saved a few years if he'd used the shovel rather than his fist. Other than that, it was one of the best modern Doctor Who episodes filmed and should have won Peter Capaldi an award. Paul said, watched it in live at the main auditorium at Chicago TARDIS. Check out the clip on YouTube. Moy Murdy said, possibly the best episode of Doctor Who. CJ Ward said, greatest Doctor Who episode ever. Capaldi acts his his damn heart out and proves he's the best actor to play the part. And the story itself is such a compelling, emotional, and accurate portrayal of grief and the pro and the process of loss. Perfect in every way. Daniel said the best episode of all time. And Susan said Moffat and Capaldi's King Lear moment. Uh, so that's it for listeners' responses this week. Uh, what's your what's your response to all that, Liam? Um, <clears throat> I knew it was an episode that was uh, well respected and people didn't, did uh, did enjoy it. I didn't realise to the extent, though. Yeah, some of the words like masterpiece thrown around a lot. Yeah, I mean that's uh, the thing. It's sort of best episode of it... television ever. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I mean, personally, I would disagree with that. Um, you know, uh, when I think of something like the you know the, the best television ever, um, you know, I would say you know the BBC adaptation of Wolf Hall is probably there, or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, or Smiley's People. That's what I think of. Um, I mean, I like the episode. I respect it an awful lot. I, it's uh it was an interesting episode to pick rob and it is very good and i i I do like it i like the uh i do like the script i like the style of it what it contains and i totally agree with what everyone else was saying with regards to peter capaldi i mean very good actor in general and played the doctor superbly well but he's excellent here um and the fact that he's largely holding the show on his own um Mm for 99% of it really it's uh, you know he manages to captivate and the episode's certainly not boring um, there are things with um, 
I mean, everyone experiences grief dif- differently, um, and there are some emotional scenes. And it is nice to see the Doctor um, dealing with the death of Clara in the way he does. Um, whether it's the best depiction of grief, I think, really depends on who you are and how you you know how you've experienced grief. I I would disagree with that to a certain extent. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. And there are emotional. No, I, I felt I felt the same, um, mm. especially when people are bringing that up. Um, how it depicted grief, I didn't kind of relate. Yeah, I, I and that's the thing. I, I don't think this is an emotional episode. Um, it's interesting, and it's uh, engaging from the the tone and the feel of it. One thing I definitely agree with. I think that the mu- uh, which one of our uh, listeners commented on, which I think the music was superb. I definitely agree with that. It has a um, which marries up with the the location of it. It has a baroque feel. Um, in some instances, but it, I, th- I think it's a very good score, so I definitely agree with that. Um, I don't like the um, sort of the cinematography of the episode. The, there's a blue grain tinge to a number of the scenes, and it's just a personal thing. It It's something that is very common in quite a lot of uh, modern television, particularly period dramas, I find it very off-putting visually. I don't like it. Um, so that puts me off a little bit. There's something about the visual quality. The production design of it is, is excellent. And I think it is the episode is directed well. But there's something about the visual style puts me off. Hmm. So there's an element of that. Um, but on the whole, I think it's a, it is a strong episode. I do like it. Um, but I don't, me personally, I think where I, I don't think it's the masterpiece that a lot of people seem to, seem to think that it is. And of course, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that our listeners are wrong. Um, this is just, you know, it's, it's all opinion. This just happens to be mine. I do like the episode. It, and especially for something like Doctor Who, it's quite bold and imaginative and they did something very different. And for the most part, I think it was tremendously successful. Um, but I find it I find it interesting more than emotional. Yeah. Uh, um, so the fact that people say you know people seem to be taking a lot of uh, emotion from it was is, is it's not how I describe it. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's been really interesting hearing what people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, thanks for getting in touch, everyone. Um, if we didn't if we didn't read everyone's out, I'm sorry. Um, there was a lot of like very similar opinions though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We did a poll. Um, about eighty-six said it was good. Hmm. Uh, about ten percent average and four percent bad. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that was good. Um. So, with regards to our conclusions, I think you've possibly summed yours up, Liam. I think I've warmed to this episode more than I originally had. Um, I'm not a big fan of Clara because I, I don't know I, I think I got a bit tired of her yes yeah um, but I really do like the 12 Doctors kind of affinity for her I don't know what a nice little charm that he's got because it shows um, it shows a, like a nice warm side to him that we didn't see in his very first episode you know the, the character does grow mm-hmm. um, and he becomes more open about his feelings and stuff Um 
a little bit, um, a bit more honest to himself. Um, so I like that aspect of Clara, but you know, maybe not, her not so much. Um, but she died. Maybe that's why I like this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's dead, and that's where she should stay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. Um, I mean, I would. I did hope we'd talk about Hellbent one day. Is it is it banned from the podcast though? No, no, it's not banned from the podcast. Not banned. I, I mean, if I'm in the mood to go on a real rant, all <laughs> oh, right, okay. Be like, Rob, I'm in the mood. Let's bitch about a Doctor Who episode. We know the one to talk about. What about Sleep No More? No. Um, no. <laughs> I, I I think we will talk about that at some point. But I've re- even after all these years, I've really got to work my way up to that one because, and I'm not oh, exaggerating. Yeah. The episode made me feel physically sick watching it. Right. Um, I think maybe not phys- maybe not literally physically, but um, metaphorically, it nearly physically made me sick. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just I, I, I didn't like the camera work, the color scheme and everything. I, f- I felt it a very. Um... It was all CCTV, wasn't it? Yeah, I found it. Yeah, a very, I couldn't uh... stand that. Yeah, my stomach was yeah. churning watching it. Yeah, I, I didn't find it a pleasurable viewing experience. Oh. So the fact of having to... <laughs> oh. Gotta watch fact, it at some point. Jesus. You know, if, if anyone did want to support the podcast on Patreon, they would unlock um, our first achievement, which is to review Sleep No More. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Please, <laughs> Please <no>. do not. <laughs> do not support the podcast. Yeah. Oh, We're God, a pound man. away <laughs> from... <laughs> Reviewing that story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm intrigued. What's happening next week? Right, okay. So, well, next week, uh, we'll be picking my favourite uh, Capaldi episode. So, that's what we'll be talking about. And it's In the Forest of the Night. Oh. Ah. Ha! Joking, can you imagine? That episode's so dull. No, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, we will be talking about uh, my favourite Capaldi episode, uh, and it's Mummy on the Orient Express. Ah, good. <laughs> I thought of watching that. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> yeah, you handled, um, you handled that well, Rob. I mean, I didn't know what you think you're going, seriously? <laughs> yeah. The boring one with the trees. Yeah, that's all I remembered. I've I've, li- I've never rewatched it. No, I remember there's a uh, there's a girl that runs around the forest with her hands waving around because she thinks there's stuff flapping around her head, uh, yeah. and there's lots of trees which have no rings in them. Um, <laughs> that was it. It's just going. Oh, and Mister Pink's in it. Oh, uh, yeah. No, can't 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 deal yeah. with him. The man who basically. Forged the first Doctor with his with his ideals. Yeah, what? soldier without a gun. Like <laughs> I hate how how like um, Danny. Are you talking about Danny Pink? Yeah, yeah. I I hate how like embedded he is in the first Doctor's past now because of the whole soldier without the gun. Mm. Yeah, that girl, that character sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, he did. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he stayed dead. <laughs> One thing Stephen Moffat did right. 
No, but then he came back in the Matrix. Did he? In the the, the, the Matrix data slice, he came back. Remember? No, I, can't. <laughs> I generally can't remember. Yeah, so he got knocked over. He was yeah. dead. Then his conscious got uploaded into Missy's Matrix. Oh, yes, of course. And he was a cyber. Don't stay dead in Doctor Who, yeah. No, yeah, well, him, yeah. Him, him and the cyber brig, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so uh, we'll talk next week. Mummy on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I've got no idea what we're doing uh, in the coming weeks after that, though. Have we even got a plan? No. <laughs> No, not yet. But we will no. have. We will do. Yeah, we'll come up with something. <laughs> cool. Oh, well, thanks, everyone. Keep an eye on social media. We're on facebook.com slash cloisterbell, Instagram cloister underscore bell, and Twitter at podcastbell. And say hello, see what we're up to. You can support the podcast uh, on patreon.com slash cloisterbell, and we'd love it if you'd give us a review on... Uh, Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. Um, well, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye, everyone. You say bye, name. Yes, bye. Sorry, I was in the middle of a yawn. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not over yet. <laughs> bye, everyone. Cloister Bell. Imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the Cloister Bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The Cloister Bell? Oh, no.